Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Miracles in the Age of Disbelief. So I love this conversation. I really, really value when people take a concept like miracles and they go back and they look at the history of miracles from, you know, a religious standpoint, from ancient culture standpoint, really dissecting like what is a miracle really and how have we viewed it over time? I just think this is so fascinating and valuable. And my guest today, Michael Grosso, has done this. He's written several books. He's very fascinated with consciousness and the mysteries around the states of consciousness. He has studied classical Greek and obtained his PhD in philosophy from Columbia University. He has taught philosophy and the humanities at CUN, Mary Mount Manhattan College and at New Jersey City University. He's also on the board of directors at the American Philosophical Practitioners Association and was the reviews editor for its journal. He has written the book, The Millennium Myth, Love and Death at the End of Time, Experiencing the Next World Now, also The Final Choice, Death or Transcendence, and The Man Who Could Fly, St. Joseph of Copertino, and The Mystery of Levitation. And his newest book is called Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief. And this is what we talked a lot about today. So with no further ado, Michael Grosso. Michael, welcome to the show. I'm happy you're with us today. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, so I we could probably talk for hours on these subjects. Your new book, Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief, is personally fascinating for me, I've got to say. Um, but I really want to go into this idea of miracles and you go into it through so many different lenses in this book. Um, uh -huh. And so I'm thrilled that you're with us. And I'm just curious, where did your curiosity start on the subject of miracles? Yeah, well, I, I, I guess um, probably the very first thing was listening to my mom talk about Padre Pio, who was a Catholic saint and who did all kinds of strange things. But I wasn't terribly religious. But as I, and then when I uh, grew up, I did grow up eventually, and I went to graduate school to study philosophy. And of course, one of the major uh, ideas in philosophy is the nature of the mind. And so that's how I got interested in uh, the, the question of extraordinary phenomena that can't be explained by the prevailing way of looking at the mind, which today, for the most part, not everybody in, in the academic world, uh, tends to be materialistic. 
So if materialism were true, and that's all there is, just the material world, miracles and all the spirituality of the mind would be something that uh, would be really impossible. It would be self-deception to believe in that. I, uh, so that's the first thing. I got very curious about uh, phenomena that don't fit with the views that I was hearing for the most part, not everybody, but in, at graduate school at Columbia University. I thought something was haywire there. The second thing was that I had from, actually from my very early years had what I came to realize were uh, funny kinds of experiences that now I would call paranormal or even perhaps miraculous. Uh, and uh, so uh, by the time I was in graduate school, I started to get serious about doing research uh, after I got my PhD, of course, uh, on these extraordinary phenomena, which tell us something very important about the power and the creativity of the human mind, and, and which was not consistent with the main tendency that I found around me among students and teachers, which tended to be materialistic, reductionistic, uh, and pretty much uh, indifferent to spirituality. So that's pretty much what got me started. And uh, when I, uh, so on and off, I've been researching the subject and uh, writing essays and books about the powers of the human mind. And I wrote two books on, about levitation, uh, which I think is a fascinating paranormal phenomenon. I like the idea of flying myself. I haven't learned how to do it yet. And, uh, and then I got into uh, fairly recently uh, writing a book, uh, uh, which was a kind of overview, not just of the one extraordinary phenomenon that I had focused on, namely levitation. But what I tried to do in my book is cover a very wide range, uh, going outside the, the Catholic Church, because miracles of the kind that interest me, or interest all of us, I would think, occur in all religions, by all people, all ages, uh, even outside of the context of religion, uh, extraordinary things happen. So that's the origins of my uh, uh, curiosity, and I would also say this, I'm not alone. There are lots of people out there. I'm not the only person who is interested in data, factual matters that force us to expand our, our view and our understanding of the human mind. So uh, that's the best I can say quickly uh, about how I got into this. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. I'm, I'm, I love the work that you're doing and, and the people that are forging the path of data, right? Because mm -hmm. there are certain people that are only going to start to expand their awareness based on data. Like that's the lens that is very important to justify it. Mm -hmm. Like that's not my, like my perspective. I mean, I just, I'm an intuitive, right? So I, I don't feel that I per se need data to expand my awareness or to have miracles happen in my life or to have experienced things like telepathy and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's so critically important for more people to embrace this, to have the data. 
on oh, it. I, yes, I agree completely that, I mean, I uh, was instinctively, and, and in some ways, and myself, intuitive. I'm not sure if I would say an intuitive. That makes me too much. But uh, so I think I agree with you because we need to introduce these phenomena to people who are not necessarily uh, intuitive and who for some reason, for what for reasons, the way they live, the, the way they have evolved personally, uh, many of these phenomena seem remote and frankly impossible. And they are rare. It's not like people are levitating all the place, all over the place every day, uh, just to take one example. So uh, I appreciate your you're sharing with me the uh, sense of the importance of, of data and, uh, and facts because uh, that, that's where the world is at large. Increasingly, we're, being, we're influenced by science. What we need to do is expand science so as to include the mental and the spiritual and not merely uh, the material. Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious. So I'm one of those people that would like to levitate as well. And if anybody knows me, then they know that I talk about this often. So I'm very curious on your interest in levitation and just maybe what you discovered in in that research. Yeah, well, uh, the first thing I will mention to strengthen my case, so to speak, is that I once performed an experiment in a class with other students and another teacher present too, uh, in which we levitated a 200 pound ex-marine uh, on a dare, as it were. Uh, we were talking about mind over matter. And one of my students, a young woman said, you know, when we were kids, we played a game called light as a feather. And you may have heard of that. Even yeah. Done. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you know what that is. That's where you lift somebody uh, by just touching them. And kids apparently did. I never did anything like that. So I immediately said, "Well, let's let's try it uh, in in class because we were meditating and talking about these things." And to be honest with you, I didn't expect much to happen. But as it turned out, uh, we got this heavy, very heavy gentleman and sat him in a chair and he was willing to play along with us. And four young ladies, just using their fingers, uh, touching his uh, knee, underneath his knees and underneath the elbows. And we, I suggested that we do a little chanting together, a few uh, synchronized breathings. And then I said, lift. And I'll be darned, up went the ex-Marine into the air as far as those young ladies could reach with their hands. And I will never forget the expression on this fellow's face of utter shock and amazement. I was also shocked and amazed because I didn't expect it to happen. So, uh, and then he came down gently, not heavily. He could have, he was high enough in the air that if he came down, in accord with the rules of gravity, he might have been injured, but he wasn't at all. So that was an experience that uh, moved me to do some serious research uh, in the subject. Uh, and I started uh, exploring and what I found was that there it, it's reported in 
many of the religions in, in mediumship. There are stories of, of levitation. But I picked one case where I thought the evidence was just shockingly overwhelming. The case of St. Joseph of Copertino, who lived in the 17th century. And I studied his material. I boned up on my Italian. I was pretty good at, I learned Italian in college and heard it spoken in my house. So I read the literature and I wrote my first book on, uh, on, Joseph, on, on levitation, on St. Joseph. And then we translated his biography, which is totally fascinating, called Wings of Ecstasy. Uh, well, anyway, that was my title of his biography, which uh, it gives you know page after page of stories, not only of his levitation talents, but his healings and all this strange stuff that he did. So that's how I got into the uh, into the uh, into particularly levitation, and after that. I decided to write a book that covers the whole range. And the book I have written, uh, which you've mentioned, uh, covers a very wide range of miracles, proving that both in, in mediumship and all religions and also in everyday life, extraordinary things happen that we are entitled to characterize as, uh, as, as, as miracles. Uh, and uh, if you want, I can, Define what I mean by a miracle to take the talk forward yes, a little bit. Please. So that, yeah, so that listeners will know exactly what I'm referring to. The word mir miracle itself is rooted uh, in, it goes back to a Sanskrit uh, phrase, smi, S M I, where we get the word smile. And so I, so a miracle is something that makes us smile with admiration and wonder and even astonishment, but that's only a, a, a component of the definition of miracle that I'm using. In addition, uh, the second criterion for me, and I think it's a correct uh, criterion, is that a miracle is, at least the way I have defined it, an event that cannot be explained by prevailing, by the prevailing scientific materialism. So that makes it more provocative uh, and, um, and in a way more challenging because you have to prove that this phenomena, uh, that the phenomena that we call miracles are inexplicable in light of, of, of contemporary uh, physical science. And that's quite obvious in some instances. There is no science that allows us to make sense out of uh, levitation, for example. But we do know something about the psychology associated and that's another topic that we can get into a little bit, but uh, that, that's, that, this is my preliminary uh, uh, response of how I got into this uh, extraordinary uh, domain of research. Yeah, it's amazing. And you talk, so let's talk about the disbelief because you know, you talk about in the book, you give many examples of, of miracles, you know, throughout religion and ancient cultures and different, mm -hmm. you know, things mm -hmm. that have gone on, like you said, different types of miracles. Um, was there always a level of disbelief like there is today? Or, and why do you think it's so hard for people to expand their awareness? Why is the disbelief feel so heavy? Well, that's a really interesting question, and it depends, you know, when you're trying to 
at what time of history that you're talking about this. But in general, my first reaction to the first part of your question is that yes, there has always been uh, an element of resistance uh, throughout history. Uh, and But it, the, the resistance uh, increases in, by leaps and bounds in the 17th century with the rise of modern European science which tended to be mechanistic and uh, physicalistic in its approach to reality. And so, but even uh, in earlier periods of history where there was no science, there tends to be two classes of people, those who experience miracles and those immediately around them who accept the reality. And the majority of ordinary human beings who don't have that intuition that you spoke of or the experience of, the, of these extraordinary phenomena who live in a, in a world which is a commonsensical world for the most part, especially if they're not paying too much attention to themselves or to stories of other people. But I have, and I'm, I'm always interested in the history of this subject, but I have concluded that it's almost a permanent light motif, as it were, of conflict between those who are, are prepared to embrace the supernormal dimension of experience and those who back off from it for various reasons. Today, I can say that it's dangerous in the academic world if you pay too much attention uh, or if you write a book about miracles or uh, talk about them in a classroom. It depends on what school you're at, of course, but generally speaking, there's a, uh, you can lose a job. I mean, I, there are many stories of people who, uh, uh, who have done research in this field and found themselves on the outside uh, of, uh, of the ac academic uh, community. So, uh, I mean, I have had people have, uh, there's a, a review, one review of, of my book on levitation by someone who is a, a fanatically a fanatic disbeliever is so ridiculous the the the, the attempt the to the worm out of confronting the evidence that i lay out in my book page after page that it, it's it's it, mentally it's fascinating uh, to see how somebody could try to make up a story for example that joseph copertino uh, uh because he prayed all day, constantly, he was only always on his knees, that that somehow made him, made his legs very strong so that he was really a, in secret, a secret trapeze artist and that he could fake the appearance of levitations to convince people that he was a holy man. So that would make him not only a faker, but a complete fraud. Of course, that's utter nonsense. There isn't a fragment of evidence for that. And it's absurd to think that if you're on your knees praying all day, you're gonna become well-developed with your leg muscles. And nevertheless, this uh, review was published in a, in a magazine called the Skeptical Inquirer. Uh, a ridiculous, uh, I responded to that uh, essay, by the way, and I was surprised to find it uh, posted on uh, Wikipedia. My uh, completely devastating critique of that uh, almost humorously moronic attempt to explain away 
uh, levitation. So now, most people aren't like that, but this guy is sort of committed. He's a committed disbeliever and, and he simply refuses. And there are many other cases that I could cite, you know, often some, uh, cases of well-known philosophers who are living off their reputation, so to speak, and they don't want to change their mind when they're confronted with something that doesn't fit their worldview. But yeah. as a, yeah. So no, that's, it's interesting. That's, it, well, so it brings up a good point because yeah. like to expand out on that, I and mean, thank you for sharing that, is, you know, there's just a lot of fear behind it, right? Like, like people only are going to go and shut things down and need to not just disagree with something, but need to be vocal about their disagreement with something to the point where they want to prove it as something that is, you know, has no, bears no weight, has no truth to it. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, you know, a tactic to further suppress information and awareness, right? To squash something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I just, I find it personally fascinating when people go out of their way, you know, they don't just always turn a blind eye and go, okay, that's not for me, right? Maybe it's for somebody right. else, or I can't accept right. this personally. But to to purposely, especially even in the academic system, to to take somebody's research, you know what I mean, on, on this, and to mm-hmm. purposely try to minimize it or suppress it, or, mm-hmm. you know, that I feel like is, we're at an interesting juxtaposition of time that we're in, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. more of this is going to be happening, right? It's it's time to for this knowledge to be widely seen, right, and mm-hmm. understood. And I just find it fascinating that there are people and institutions who actively want to suppress this. And do you feel like it's just? an act of like cognitive dissonance, or like you say, somebody has laid their stake in the sand that this is factual and this is not, and they want to defend that? Or do you feel like there's other motives that people have to make sure that people don't have this expanded vantage point? Well, I think the answer to your question is both. I mean, they are there is a rigidity uh, in terms of professionalism. Uh, you know, you have you have an identity as a critic of the paranormal. Someone comes along with overwhelming evidence; it's very hard to admit it. But there are other, uh, uh, I think, uh, emotions. Uh, and, and and to be honest with you, I, I, I sometimes I, I really don't understand. I, I'll give you an example. I've had instances. I've done research on life after death, and I think you can make a rational case for life after death. And I've had conversations with colleagues who are philosophers, and they too would respond in the most bizarre ways. On one occasion, I had an extra copy of a wonderful book on mediumship. And I had, there are two of my colleagues who were nice guys, I enjoyed their company, but they were totally against the whole idea of post-mortem survival. I tried to give each of them this book as a gift, each of them came up with the most bizarre reasons why they would not be able to read the book and suggested that I give it to somebody else. That was shocking and also uh, in a way amusing because when when the reaction is so absurd, it starts to get funny to me. 
but uh, obviously they didn't want to face the evidence that uh, I that I had was pointing to in this particularly uh, effective book on the topic of life after death. So it it is uh, I guess the mind people's minds get a kind of sclerosis of the spirit, and they get so stiff, so rigid that they can't change their minds. Uh, and they may otherwise be perfectly decent, smart, you know, good human beings, but they have a, a spot there that just won't yield to a new truth. And, um, you know, what can you do? What happens is, in the end, it's usually the folks who have an experience who are more malleable in their belief systems. Uh, but uh, some folks are so accustomed to thinking a certain way that they re refuse to uh, admit something. And why I'm baffled by it, because it strikes me that the whole world of, of spirituality, of miracles, of life after death, of extraordinary phenomena is a heck of a lot more interesting than uh, ordinary, everyday, boring materialism. Uh, I don't get it, but that may be my limitations of my, my own imagination. Yeah, and agreed. And so what is it, what happens when, like you say, having the experience, which I mean, absolutely 100%, like if you have had, you know, an experience with tel telepathy or biolocation, or you're accessing, hmm. you're talking to people that have passed on, like, you can't not convince somebody, right? If they're right. having these, these experiences themselves. Um, but what is the, what do you think has been the effect on, on kind of this research and people opening up to this with people such as like, let's say like Eben Alexander, right? Who had right, his right. experience and obviously comes <laughs> from a more traditional educational background. Like how does that impact people? Does, is there, do they open up to that or do they just discredit something like his work? Well, that's a good question. Uh, of course, I don't know, but judging by the fact that his books have sold very well, I mean, everybody is interested in what's going to happen to them after they die. I suspect that uh, large numbers of people who were not uh, rigidly opposed, uh, but sort of on, on the edge of belief or without a fixed belief, do respond, especially when... A scientist, uh, a neuroscientist, uh, 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 you know, uh, like Eben Alexander, um, writes about an experience and does such a good job of writing about it too. But there were still there are some people who try to accuse him of, of cheating and making things up. A lot of nasty criticism he's taken. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I haven't written a bestseller but I've gotten plenty of negative criticism from some people. But uh, I suppose the thing to do is just let him go. I mean, and carry on, go forward and, and, uh, uh, and not, certainly not be up. I'm not upset by these people. I'm trying, I try to communicate uh, as effectively as I can with them, but uh, there is a, a, a massive resistance to these extraordinary stories. Yeah. And I think the important thing is to focus on, you know, the lives that are expanding their awareness by this work and, you know, the yes. people that obviously continue to learn more and that are open to learning more. I just think it's, 
I just think it's an interesting time that we are living in because it feels as though this, these deeper truths and, and just, you know, the quantum field in and of itself, it just feels like it's the time for us to understand this more and for more people to understand it. And for us to have this perspective, greater perspective. And of course, like in end times of any change, there is resistance to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's focusing, you know, cause a lot of people that, you know, listen to the show and, and myself included, um, you go through a process of, well, am I going to say what I know, even though other people, right. Um, right. Might not, might not see the same truth, might not believe that. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. process of deciding, you know, I'm sure for yourself, like, okay, I'm going to write this book. Like no matter what people think of this, this is so right. compelling that I'm going to put, put that out there. And I think the wave gets created, the more people that are willing to speak up, right. And the willing to put the work out there in the world. And I just think it's really important when I was going through your book, um, you know, I don't know the history, like you've laid it out in your book and it's fascinating. And it's, and you start to get this vast feeling that this is not only, you know, in all of the religions, it's not only in all of the areas of the world, right? It's not only Mm -hmm. in all of the ages of time, like this Mm -hmm. is, this is, this is not, you know, one single incident once, you know, back in the 1600s. I mean, it it mm. gives you this feeling of this is happening all the time, right? And I think so. I think so. And I agree with you that now is a special time where uh, the change, I think, becomes possible. For one thing, the internet, even though I have some problems <laughs> with it, is amazing for in terms of uh, recovering uh old books about this subject. I I keep uh, finding in my readings references to books that I say to myself, boy, I would love to have my hands on this. You know, that was published back in the 14th century or the 16th or the 18th century. And I check it out and sure enough, someone has reprinted it and made it available. So, and then there are people out there telling their stories. Not all of them are credible or well told, but the internet does increase our social uh, scope, as it were. And uh, I, I mean, I, I myself sometimes feel the need, or, or so somebody should do it. And it's probably being done because I don't know what's going on all over the internet. But uh, I think researchers like myself should spend time uh, scanning. Uh, the various uh, outlets discussing these phenomena. For example, a show like yours. You've been you've been talking about. I don't, I don't know how long you've been doing this, but uh, you have interviewed. I assume many people. Uh, yes. I don't know their experiences, but they're available. You see, for for the researcher who wants to find out more, we're in a better position today than we ever have been before. And secondly. We need to change our worldview. It's obvious that the materialism, capitalism, and consumerism are destroying the planet and creating havoc among peoples. Injustice reigns supreme in so many areas. We need a new philosophy, a new vision, and a new way to connect human beings together 
that um, celebrates our humanity in uh, fresh and uh, and human ways uh, because <laughs> we're in bad shape as a planet right now uh, with climate change uh, and all the rest that that's uh, that's sweeping across the planet that's negative so um, I feel that this is a time uh, that we may be uh, on the threshold of a new world paradigm of uh, spirituality and higher consciousness. Agreed, and that is beautifully said. So for those that, before we ask you our four questions, I just wanna say uh, the book again is Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief. Uh, you can find that on Amazon, is that right? And yeah, yeah, Barnes yeah. & Noble, anywhere you get your books. And then where can they, where's your online hub that they can find out more about your work? Oh, I, well, I have a, a blog called uh, Consciousness Unbound, uh, blogspot.com. And that that's, uh, I'm, you know, ongoing writing stuff about that. I'm also an artist, a painter, and I have a... Uh, a website with my artwork and how it relates to the paranormal. And it's, that's called uh, paintingthepsyche.com. Uh, uh, yeah, one, and with all the letters together on the painting the psyche. So yeah, I'd be, I would welcome uh, stories from people, their experiences, uh, and, and that, you know, to get in touch with me through, through my blog, particularly. And uh, I'd be delighted to, to hear from them. Wonderful. And we will put those links in the show notes as well for you guys so you can get right to his two sites. Really, really, really great work. Thank you for doing the research and looking back and looking at this stuff. It's, it's so important at this time. And, and one of the things, we're going to ask you our questions now. Um, uh -huh. One of the things that that comes up for me is this this idea of truth and the way that we can discover something new and instead of resisting it, embrace it and how that can then be a catalyst in our life. So what is a truth that you came across in your journey? It could be recently or a long time ago that served as, as a catalyst. It kind of maybe changed the trajectory uh, for you. Yeah, I think I can answer that question. No one has quite asked that to me and I, and I, I appreciate it from you. <clears throat> Uh, while I was doing the research, uh, I was always assuming that my mind was a byproduct of my brain, that the brain, some mysterious, in some mysterious way, creates the mind. A mind and brain are completely different. Mind is intangible, invisible, absolutely real to us, but you can't find it anywhere in the physical world. Well, at a certain point, <clears throat> Perhaps after studying uh, the phenomena of uh, telepathy, I realized, and, and, uh, and clairvoyance, I realized that my mind is not um, a, uh, a, an isolated mind, but my mind is connected with other minds. And moreover, I began to study and realize from the philosophical arguments that it's logically it doesn't make any sense to try to reduce our mental life to our brain life. The two things are independently real and, they're inter and, they're, and they interact. But take, for example, a, 
uh, an important part of our mental life. Take our dreams. Now, when we dream, we're in a we're in a a different kind of a space. It's not physical space. By the way, in a dream, you can fly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they're quite wonderful. I've had the experience. So the mental uh, world that we inhabit, despite uh, b- uh, being connected with our bodies, is not identical with our bodies. That was the truth. When that hit me, I realized that I was I had entered, as it were, into a new phase of my attempts to understand the nature of the mind. And I went on to embrace the notion of a, of a great mind, uh, of, of a, uh, a super mind. And, and that great mind, super mind, the, the different religions and idealist philosophers had names for uh, God, uh, guardian angels, uh, uh, all kinds of spiritual uh, names, the Tao. Uh, Brahman and in, in Hinduism, etc., etc., etc. So I arrived at a concept of a greater mind just by analysis and and, and a philosophic uh, reflection on these unusual phenomena. Uh, I didn't arrive at the concept of a great mind through religion. And I have nothing against religion, but. Uh, I happen to be a trained philosopher, so I have these habits of analytic thinking. So that definitely opened me up and um, uh, had it, it, it intensified my confidence uh, in the meaningfulness of the research I was pursuing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And what was it that you released when you like kind of locked into that truth? Like what was the belief system you had before that just kind of dissolved as you went into this idea of like a super mind? Well, it it, it dissolved a certain bleakness, a certain, uh, I should put it, the pessimistic outlook, you know, it, uh, I used to teach uh, in a college in New Jersey, and the students used to have a saying. Uh, I call this New Jersey wisdom. You see, first you're born, and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of. It's not just New Jersey, obviously. I'm just teasing in a way. Uh, I, I liked living there when I did live there, but um, yes, it, it released me from the sense of bondage to a narrow view of my human potential and possibilities. Uh, I'm not a dogmatic, I'm not dogmatically certain about anything. Uh, it's just my temperament. It, it's uh, conceivable, you know, that I'm misled or deceived, self-deceived. So I'm not going to beat anybody over the head if they don't agree with me. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I am open. I have been opened up as a result and released from that constricted sense of who I am. And it's the purpose of my writings and my work to get that release working for other people. Yeah, beautifully because said. Because I see others are, are, are restricted in their way of and unhappy. I mean, it's an unhappy world, you know. So, are there grounds for uh, a release from that? Uh, how shall I put it? Mortal uh, downbeatness of uh, of our existence without a wider 
view of uh, the nature of mind, spirit, and soul. Yeah, it's really, it's beautifully said. And it's, it's important to, you know, to take a look at that shift that occurs when you, you know, I think there's many stages where we kind of have those moments of growth where your perspective expands and mm-hmm. you see something a little bit more and to live in that expansion or, and I think you bring up a good point because I find that most people that are on that path or they, that is their ethos, like it's not this idea of like, I'm right and I'm sure I've got it and this is the Mm. mark on the map, but Mm. more like, oh, this is interesting and I'm providing this based on my research and my life experience or whatever it may be. And I realized because I discovered this that's more, that there might also be more, right? And beautifully that, said, beautifully yeah, said. That I'm that, that, on that journey. Yes, yes. And I like the concept of journey. Uh, we're, we're, I mean, once you, you gain an insight that's a liberating insight, that's only the beginning. The, the challenge is to live the insight, to articulate it, yes. to embody it, to spread the good news, as it were. Uh, if, uh, and to be and to be honest, when it doesn't work, too. I mean, not not to plow ahead uh, with an attitude of being infallible, that doesn't help. Yes, uh, definitely. And what it, what would you say like ex- changed in your very practical experience of life? Like when you expanded in these ways and you started doing this research, how did that like contribute or not to to your life experience? Well, that's an interesting question. I think it's simply, my answer is pretty simple in a way. It, it's simply, I mean, I find, always found, I've always found life interesting and exciting because that's just my temperament and my, and I have an optimistic uh, propensity, so to speak. But all that was magnified as my, and intensified uh, as my, intellectual uh, and spiritual life evolved toward a wider and wider conception. And I have to say, it's still broadening. I'm still piecing things together. I'm not exactly young, but I feel young in terms of the range of things I still have to do, the connections I want to make and the help I'd like to provide for, for people. So uh, how it's changed my life is to enhance the art of living itself. Uh, I certainly value every minute of my life, which I tend to see as, you know, uh, what we we should not waste uh, our time. I'm constantly catching myself uh, wasting time. And uh, then not for business reasons, but for spiritual reasons. Uh, uh, and a lot of people think, you know, time is money. That's not how I think. But uh, so, uh, yes, I, it has expanded my capacity to enjoy life, uh, for one thing, and to appreciate the sense of life as an adventure, because we don't know anything quite sure. I mean, it's it's iffy. And the uncertainty, I think, is, is valuable because it keeps us on edge. Uh, and... Uh, I'm completely opposed to, to dogmatism, which I view as, as I, I used this phrase before, sclerosis of the mind. Uh, and uh, so anyway, that, that, that's 
that's a, a quick take yeah, on, I agree on how, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, really beautiful. And lastly, what is the thing that keeps you in alignment? So what are the things that you do or you get excited about that have your life just feel like, wow, I'm in this expansive state and this joyful state. And I do feel like, like you said, that you're continuing to grow. Like it doesn't really matter what physical age we are, mm -hmm. but the pursuit of the journey and the excitement over, you know, being excited to learn new things and find new things uh -huh. really does keep us feeling good. So what are the things for you that you do um, that yeah. add to that? Well, I can, I can definitely say one thing. Now, uh, all my life I've done two things uh, I just that came naturally to me, writing and making marks on paper, drawing, paper, painting. And uh, I, I uh, particularly have, in the, uh, the course of my career as a teacher, for example, I used to paint at night after I finished my classes and preparations and, and the writing stuff. And I uh, have, now I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not teaching anymore, thank goodness, um, I'm, you know, living, writing, and painting. But I will say that my art is um, uh, gives me the greatest satisfaction. Uh, I, I, it's the closest thing when I when I'm making a painting, or even thinking about a painting. Uh, if I start it and it's on on the uh, on the easel, I pass by it as I go to the kitchen. It's a, that keeps me more in, uh, on track. And uh, I uh, definitely, uh, you know, find that uh, practice of mine, which I've been doing since before I even, I, I was drawing before I learned how to write. Uh, and uh, so that, that's become a big, a major part of my life, more so than it ever has been. Uh, but, um, I, I'm sure there are other things I could say if, if, I, if, the, if I thought about it, the, the specifics of the things that turn me on. I'm also getting more into music. Uh, I, I, I like to drum. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, I, 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 and I, I found that I have a kalimba in my house that, uh, I don't know if you know what a kalimba is. It's like no. an, Afri it's an African instrument. And it's a, you play it with your two thumbs and someone gave it to me years ago, and, and then I started playing around with it recently, and I realized that I don't know a damn thing about it, but if I keep playing on it, it's starting to sound pretty good. Now, I'm not trying to become a mu musician. I don't, I'm not going to perform, you know, that's not, but, but the sheer satisfaction of, uh, of making music uh, and drumming really stirs up the spirit and the energies in me, and I've decided uh, in a way during this uh, being sequestered home, spending a lot of time by yourself, I live by myself. I'm, I'm sort of sh what I would call shamanizing during this period yes. of solitude. Uh, I'm doing things that um, I believe are, are attuning me to all of the creative ideas that I've been studying in a more theoretical vein, if, you, if that makes any sense making them come to life uh, in new ways. So I love it. I 100% agree with that. And I feel like you are doing that. And that is, it's, 
you know, it's really our creative power. Like, and when we mm-hmm. say creative, it's to create anything, right? Not even right. just art, but our creative power. And certainly sound takes us there, right? Oh, yeah. and, and art takes mm-hmm. us there. And it's beautiful to build a life that just honors that and opens that up. And and certainly that is an adventure, like you talked about earlier, in and of mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. it becomes so exciting. I always say there's no need for television. <laughs> Once you enter this world, you yes. are fascinated enough at all of the, you know, the wonderful miracles and things that start showing up. So thank you so much for being with us. This was a ton of amazing information. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I enjoyed talking with you, Shana, very much. And uh, I thank you for inviting me. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes. 